The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your host. It does not get any more exciting for me as a teacher than to hear from people, our listeners, about being able to clearly state the difference between the indwelling life of Jesus being grace Versus grace as an external activity to wash you like a bar of soap. Grace is a life. And the life of Christ lives inside the born again. So grace is alive and breathing inside you. Just set ourselves aside as local listeners. There are people in other countries that are catching this. They are hearing something different than this constant emergent statement of grace that is being preached around the world. People that are not offended by me saying that oftentimes the world's perspective of grace is oiling the slide of sending people to hell. How studious is God at working at bringing guilt and condemnation in an unbeliever's life. How active is he? How focused is he at bringing guilt and condemnation in an unbeliever's life? So is there a purpose for the law today? The emergent church says you are wrong. You see, if God spends that person's entire life to bring them to a point of feeling condemned everywhere they go, everything they hear, everything they say, everything that's said to him, they feel condemned. And someone from the church walks up and says, God's unmerited favor covers that. God's grace covers what you're saying. Because that's what's being said in the majority of our churches today. When God has worked so hard at bringing a person to a final moment of allowing the law to kill and destroy that person's old nature. And then some churchy people come along and remove the sting of death. And they don't get saved. And the reason why we don't see salvations like we do today is because of the gracilistic movement, the Church of Laodicea. We are on 102 in our podcast. We are finishing the conditions of grace, which I've had a handful of responses out there that even to hear the the word conditions of grace bothers them. But see, there are conditions we have learned up to this point. Number one condition is, local listeners, you have to become born again. Do people in hell get grace? Do unbelievers get grace? Unless they get saved, they receive Jesus Christ, and and grace literally comes and lives inside them. Grace is conditional. 
And I know the emergent church hates hearing that because grace is a life. It's the life of Christ and no man comes unto the Father yet through Him. And if He is grace, no one is going to have the mercy from the mercy seat of the throne of God unless they come through Christ Jesus, who is grace, who is the grace activity of God the Father. This is a clear message. And there are people getting it around the world that Americans refuse to listen. Because they have formed their own perspective of growing in grace. Grace rules. They have formed their own ideas that have gone universal. And now they have put, as this person I am following for study reasons in Albuquerque, that has all the universal at the front of her church. She has all of the symbols of all the religions of the people in her church. And as a new religion joins her church, she puts her, their symbol on the wall. As a lot of people have stained glass windows behind the preacher, she has these symbols of coexistence. And Satanism, the impenogram, the impenogram with the, with the goat's head is right behind her head. And then I've listened to testimonies because they record testimonies from her church and they send those out on their podcast. So I listen to those testimonies. And they're all saying the exact same thing is that grace covers a multitude of religions. That's where it's going. Into a universal religion that will soon become the one world religion. And Ian, from your memory, who's going to be the head of that? The Antichrist. It's such a simple plan. It's ridiculous. But because we are into freedom of religion, it'll probably get birth. The Church of Laodicea probably will get birth out of a country like ours. The hostile responses, guys, that I get from these podcasts at 602 292 2982 are from Americans. While there are other countries that there was a gentleman who contacted me this past week from India and said, we want to start a training center from your center. And I said, done, we can do this. Because they're listening to this, this discernment of discerning out real life of Christ versus following Christ. How is it that over 300 religions in the world today use the term Christian? How is this possible? So all you have to do is walk around and say, I'm a Christian. Right? So you, if you're trained a little bit, you'd have to say, well, are, you, are you Mormon? Are you a Jehovah Witness? Are you universalists? Because they all call themselves Christians. What are you saying exactly? No, that is not what most people do. They're too embarrassed to speak publicly about the authenticity of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. So they slide by. And the culture becomes more and more lukewarm. That's what's happening. But see, there's other countries that don't do that. When you use the term Christian, they automatically assumed you have the indwelling life of Christ. 
That is not the case in this town. It's not the case in this state. It's not the case in this nation. Our politicians are presently warring over the idea of should we finally put our foot down when it comes to certain violent acts that come with religions. Chrislam, for example, claims Christianity and Muslim at the same time, but they're also finding that these Chrislams are connected to a violent movement in America because Americans don't react to blended religions. So we have, we have a crisis on our hands. So let's take a look at the scriptures that have to do with being able to present the true, authentic, indwelling life of Christ type of Christian versus the one who says, I acknowledge Jesus Christ, thus I consider myself a Christian. Anyone who is offended by this message already, it means that the Holy Spirit, for sure your mind, is wanting discernment, clarification on what's being said. Because our minds typically resist true discernment of truth. Every mind does, because it's not, it's not the way we're born. We are born into avoiding conflict, spiritually, psychologically, and physically. And it kind of stays with us the majority of our life. So, let's take a look at our first slide here. With this excessive, misrepresented, and twisted view of grace in the post-church era, which is the era we're living in, it used to be, not too long ago, that it would have been appalling for you to hear about someone resisting and suing a church or a town over the term Christmas. Today you see authentic Christians walking around with t-shirts that say, I put Christ back in Christmas, or whatever. Now, to most of us, we go, okay, your point? Do you understand that 10 years ago, that would have been an absolute, ridiculous thought? How did that happen to us? Because we are napping on our couches while the enemy is designing a culture that is soon to be so proactive to say, I hate the word, the name, Christ. The way you guys are used to seeing it or hearing it. Because he has a goal of using that name in a different way. But see, we have to have these wake-up sermons that the enemy actually has a plan. So he has to create a different kind of view of the indwelling life of Christ. So it is of utmost importance that we understand that grace is the active expression of God through His very Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and not the giving out of some type of external relief from a sin condition, or a principle, or an empowerment. 
grace has had nor grace has never had nor will ever have a goal of relief but rather a goal of new life that of Christ in the bride doing the redemptive act of working out the bride's salvation through God's activity of grace which is available to mankind to be freely received by faith upon being indwelt, born again. So which do you think is most accepted and popular in the world today? Being Christian? And be, or being a born again Christian, indwelt? Why is that more acceptable? So it's very separating. Yes, sir. Now, Jesus is an absolute idiot in the world today. When he said, no man comes unto my father, you guys finish it, except through me. Well, that for me as a pastor and theologian, that, that, that creates a question in my mind of, What's the theology behind through him? How, how do I get through you to get to my father? The answer to that is? You have to become born again. You see, the high priests could not get that at all. So they tempted Jesus and said, how can a How can a man be born again and go back into his mother's womb? You see what I mean? For, for the Holy Spirit to bring that back into our culture as the most relevant decision of eternity is going to create and recreate the same persecution that put Christ on the cross. Because Christ was saying, none of you are going to make it. None of you churches, you synagogues, you priests, you, none of you are going to make it. No, not you rich man. None of you are going to make it. Unless you come through the portal of the Son of God. And their response was, crucify him. And that's what they did. And I'm here to tell you today that in the end times, that the book of Revelation and Ezekiel and Daniel and all these, these prophets have warned us about. There will be more stories in the news every day and I stay connected to the news of Christians being tortured because they're saying, I'm not a universalist Christian. There's only one way and he is the way. And I can show you how to have that life of grace if you want it. Crucify him. Murder him. Cut his head off. But see, we read that stuff in the news and we think, oh, that's horrible. Sure glad that's not in America, as was said to me this past week. That conclusion is not alarming to me. It's devastating to me. People will love lies so much that they hear about people giving their life to
to where they will not deny Christ. They will not fall away. They will not sever themselves from Christ because of pain and agony. I can tell you stories that will make you sick that are sent to me. Videos that are sent to me. Children and mothers and papas who are tortured because they will not deny Christ. They know the difference. Versus this universal emergent style of Christianity where Christ works for everyone. Christlam, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons. It doesn't make any difference. It's just a Christ. Pick him. Pick whichever one you want. And that's why it's dangerous. Versus, as I constantly challenge musicians, keep the name of Jesus in songs. Keep the name of Jesus present. They need to know Jesus is the Christ, not the Christ. And then someone can put a name in there. Jesus is the Christ. Wonder they got to get rid of Christmas. Because it's hard to deny the history of what baby are they talking about in that manger? Oh, that's Muhammad. You see, they never can do that, can they? It would have to be Muhammadmas or Buddhamas. They can't do it. So they must rid it from culture. You say that'll never happen in America. We'll see. There's coming a time real soon where you will be sued for using the name Jesus Christ as a hate crime. I've already been threatened with that. It is the world we live in. 602-292-2982. Galatians 5, 1 through 6 says this. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. And do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. You see, they were thinking that they needed to maintain the law in order to receive a benefit, right? And he's saying, you can be circumcised, but there's no benefit anymore. Whereas in the Hebrew... Was there a benefit by being circumcised? (laughs) Yeah. Don't ever be caught without it. No pun intended. (laughs) So, and I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the law. So in other words, you're saying, I have to have this law, then you will be under obligation to keep the law. Even indwelt Christians. If they try to fulfill the law on their own, they will be required to keep it. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of the righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, the Messiah who is Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through the life of God. For God is love. 
So faith is actually working through God in Christ Jesus, in you and through the Holy Spirit, and you're demonstrating this. Okay? Let's take a look at our next slide. Let's talk for a moment about uniting the two systems. The one system is the law, of course, and the other system is the life of freedom through the indwelling life of Christ, who is grace. So you are making Christ detach from you. It is useless for you to attempt to unite the two systems. The fact is, you must have the law and know Christ, or have Christ and no law. That is so critical for you to have Christ in no law if you're going to truly believe that Christ fulfilled the law in you so that you may have the justification just as if I have never sinned. If you're somehow trying to bring the law back in, integrate the law back into your faith, you are asking for a severing. If you think the mind of Christ living inside you as a born-again believer, that he will join you and follow your laws, when he already was obedient to his Father in fulfilling them? Are you with me or am I speaking into the air here? He's not going to repeat what he's already done and promised that he would do in obedience to his Father because of your faith. You are severing yourself from Him. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It just means He will not be a part of you wanting that law fulfilled. He already did it. It's making a mockery of His obedience to His Father. Of fulfilling it. How much of the work was done on the cross? And what did He say after it was all done? It is finished. Grace is the finished work of God's activity in His Son by requiring of His Son the most difficult, unbelievable, persecuting, and distressing moment of eternity. There is no moment worse than Him saying, It is done, it is finished, I have been obedient. It is over. And he, and the breath drained out of his lungs. And God says, son, I'm sorry. We're not done here. It is finished of the work of the cross. But now you've got to go pay for it. Into old Christian, please tell me where he went after they took him down off the cross. Well, a lot of Laodiceans would say, well, they took him into the tomb and rolled a stone in front of it. Yeah, yeah. But was, what was the grace activity of God inside Jesus Christ inside that tomb? He descended to the lower parts, which does translate out as Hades. Hell is not to be used officially until after the second battle. But that's where he went for three days. Why was Jonah in the belly of the fish for three days? To destroy him and his will. So that when he got spit back up on shore, he was not afraid to public speak. You see what I'm saying? And when he was spit out, all starched up, cleansed, 
He went through Nineveh, which is one of the most vile and violent cities in the world today. He went through Nineveh. And how many got saved? 120,000 people. The number is in the Hebrew. 120,000 people got saved. And then he pouted. He goes up to the hill and he's waiting for God to send a nuclear blast over the city. Do you understand what's happening here to us? When Jesus himself picked Jonah as his Old Testament character, as Jonah was in the belly of... You see, he is associating himself. Here's Jonah sitting on top of the hill waiting for the law of God to finish. Well, he sent me to the belly of the fish. He's, he's going to nuke you guys. Really? After salvation? And what did God do? He shows up and he says, Jonah, do you have reason to be angry? And he has this grace discussion with Jonah. So Jesus is sent to go into the belly of Hades, the belly of Satan. And we don't know the darkness he experienced. I don't know about you guys, but I, I, when I start getting into the details of the possibilities of what my husband, Jesus Christ, experienced, I get overwhelmed, sometimes with anger. How could we have done that to him? Because we love lies. And he is in the belly of Satan, suffering the worst kind of darkness, the worst kind of torture, the worst kind of persecution and distress. He has got the worst of the worst on him, around him, but not in him, because the activity of God, which is grace, is growing and sprouting forth out of that darkness. That's where it was birthed. Don't you go giving grace to unbelievers. Give Jesus Christ to unbelievers so that they may have the grace activity of God. That's the moment. And when he was released out of that stomach and the stone was rolled away and he came out of that tomb in this glorified condition, radiating the Shekinah glory of his daddy, his Abba. And God said, Son, I'm not done. Well, what did he have to do yet? For 40 days, he had to go to every town. It's recorded that Jesus went to every town he went to previously before the cross. And to all the people that are being lied to that he's gone, he said, I am he. Peter, his own disciples, how many disciples were at the cross supporting him, encouraging him, being there for him? One. They're all being lied to, buying into this emergent concept that, well, we had him for a while, didn't we? But was he real? Wasn't really the... Because he's dead. But the beloved John, who saw with his heart... And then the 40 days, he brings a seal of salvation, Ephesians 1.13. And then, he still wasn't done. He said, I must go, that it may come. Because Peter was quite curious. Well, when's this whole thing going to kick in for us? Peter's back. 
And what did Jesus send to them? The Holy Spirit. You see, he's walking out salvation to us. Salvation is not that clear today at 602-292-2982. I want to show you how to receive Jesus Christ. Not grace. And if you understand the steps that God, his Abba, had to send his own son through the torturous cost for true salvation and true grace, you would beg for it instead of trying to turn it into a universalist thought of it applies to everyone. Then God is a liar when he said the lion shares on the wide pathway leading to destruction and the narrow road leading to eternal life, there's billions on it. Is that what he said? He said few. Listeners, I don't care what country you're in. I don't care how big your ministry is. I'm here to tell you that the percentages have been pre-stated by our Father, by our husband, Jesus Christ, that you're going to be hated because of them getting a glimpse of this guy is saying that the lion's share of humanity is going to hell and will burn eternally and have constant gnashing of teeth forever. Except for a select few. Those who have ears to hear probably should hear. God is not universal. He is the God of the universe. He's very specific in his answer in his solutions for us. And that answer and that solution is through Jesus Christ. So the fact is, you must have the law and know Christ, Christ and no law for justification, just as if I have not sinned, to be true and experiential. If you do this, you have fallen from grace. This is not Steve Finney saying this. This is right out of the scriptures we just read. You made the gospel worthless. Those who blend the two systems after being brought into grace, into the life of Jesus, and now by readopting the Mosaic ordinances, have defected or are running away from the life of Christ and turned it into a system of religion and have lost grace of the voice of Jesus communicating in their souls. They can't hear God. They hear law. And that is the astounding thing about the law. It speaks louder than God. Because God says, be still and know that I'm God. Listen to the small whisper in your mind. See, the law screams at you. But Christ is gentle, sweet, merciful, loving, all of the fruit of the Spirit. How can you hear those tiny, sweet little things when you're in reintroducing or adopting the law back into your life? That screams at you. you, you you'll be condemned if you don't keep this little law. The activity of God received through Jesus Christ could not remain in the hearts of those who had rejected Christ in order to find intimacy with the law. Thus the proof of true salvation is found in the system of grace. You have no idea. And if you do, you are one who has been bound by the laws and indwelt believer. But you have no idea 
how good it feels to put a check by a law that you have been striving for. It's addictive. It's addictive to go down your lists and put the little checks by the things you fulfilled. It's the greatest feeling in the world is to fulfill the law. But if you can't, it's the worst feeling. Success in the world is a multi-billion dollar industry because it feels great to put the little green check by the law. There's no great feeling in saying that Jesus fulfilled the law in me. It, it does not feel good. It makes me feel like I'm nothing. I'm a nobody. That he does all the work. I don't get any credit for it. Is any of this starting to sound familiar? Galatians 6, 3, he who thinks he's something when he's nothing deceives himself? Oh, well, we, we can't have that. So we have to re-enter law into our Christianity. Those not receptive are idolaters. So let's take a look at this. The failure to respond to God's Son, grace in his free gift of faith, is to choose to trust something or someone other than God. That's why it becomes idolatry. So if you are reintroducing the law into your Christianity, you're putting the emphasis on your own abilities to finish the work. But if you get up every day and say, I'm a failure, as I did this morning, and say, God, I'm just, I'm just a failure in and of myself. He's going to say, yes, you are. He's not going to try to make me feel good by grace. He's going to say, yes, Stephen, you can do nothing aside from me. If my own son had to say, whatever you hear me saying, it is not I who says it, but it is my father. Whatever you see me doing is not I who does it, but it's my father. Even your husband, the one that you worship and sing songs to, cannot take the credit for accomplishments. It is the accomplishments, the activity of grace of God the Father. Thus it can be said that the only alternative to understanding and being receptive to God's activity of grace in Jesus Christ is idolatry. See, through Jesus, and that's the only venue. To the extent that if we do not accept his faith, we will not inherit his life and will live as, as idolaters. To avoid all forms of theological perfectionism or universalism, it should also be noted that the receptivity of God's Son, grace, through the free gift of faith, must always be accompanied by the recognition of our own sinful and fallen state. So that's what it does to us. By thinking everything is about Jesus, it's through Jesus, it's when, when you think like that, instantly you're going to feel like a failure in and of yourself. And you're going to hear from God. That's correct, Stephen. For without me, you can do nothing. You mean I can't scramble eggs? Stephen, Without me, you can do nothing. 
And that's how God views this. It's all the way through the Hebrew. It's all the way through the Greek. He who thinks he's something, when he's nothing, deceives himself. 602-292-2982 You don't need Satan anymore to deceive you. Self-striving, integrating the law into Christianity is a deception all by itself. Satan needs the law to destroy humans. Do you understand that? Jesus himself said, the prophets said, God said, for the law kills and destroys. Satan needs the law to destroy you. And if you're already indwelt by the life of Christ, he needs the law to destroy your walk. To live victoriously. Since Jesus is the active expression of God's good, holy, righteous, and perfect character, the receptive sinner who accepts the Father's activity of grace by the faith that he offers cannot help but see the contrast of his own nature having a bent towards selfishness and sinfulness. When you see glory in such a magnificent way that it's all him, none of us, that condemnation will work for the good. Are you with me? That's a healthy condemnation. You want, at 602-292-2982, you want people to feel condemned, ugly, hateful, rejected, feel like they're going to hell. Unless they're indwelled by the life of Christ. You don't want them feeling that. It's just for the unbelievers. The law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. The law is still powerful, still active, and sharper than any two-edged sword for the purpose of salvation, to lead people to Christ. You universalist, you gracilistic people, know this. If you think the law is over, you are completely ignorant of the book of Revelation. Because the law is not over until it is over. And when this, this earth is cracked and molten lava, lake of fire, I believe is what John called it, is bubbling up and he takes Satan, the Antichrist, he tosses him in there, he takes his world religion guy, and puts him in there, and takes the beast, economy, detaches and puts him in there. So the triune of the enemy is in this molten lava, lake of fire. And then all those people for a thousand years that got judged for not be being stubborn of not seeing Jesus Christ as the only way, truth, and life. All of you who are stubborn, your past relatives those that are listening right now, and those who are going to fight listening tomorrow. You're going in there with them. And then he's going to unlock this earth. And he's going to toss it into, what does the scripture say? Into outer darkness. The law will have no purpose after that. 
See, Christ came to fulfill the law for you. So you won't have to. But God's law is not over. Because it's his character. Thou shalt not whatever is the way God lives. So this new earth that we're given to live in peace and beauty and perfection and whatever is because the law has been fulfilled by God and Christ. It's done. This is a powerful truth if you just pray and let the Lord minister with these truths to your very soul. We also are saying here, he then realizes that his nature serves the enemy of God, the father of lies. Jesus looks at these Pharisees and says something very, very rude. And they didn't get this born again thing. He says, for you of your father Satan, call, literally calls his name out. For you are of your father Satan. I'm sure that went over well. I'm sure they remembered that when they were smiling as those nails were going into his wrists as he was bleeding out. Some of them might have even been thinking, take that, you wicked false prophet. And not once did Jesus come back with, you'll see. Na, 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 you're going to hell. You're of the Father. No. He was offering the solution to the very last moment of their life. And some did get it. The expression of God's character, which is the law, in Jesus serves as the contradiction of sin in our lives. We can never measure up, right? That was his point. It is not an invitation to sin because we are released in grace, which is the argument that Paul squelches to the Romans in 6.1 and chapter 15. It is rather grace or Jesus overcomes sin by the expressing God's character or his grace activity in him. Satan loves external grace, so God's grace activity in Christ causes us to recognize the sin of putting confidence in Satan, our flesh. Now, if my flesh stood in front of a spiritual mirror, which it does, you know, Paul's talking about I stand in front of the mirror, I walk away and I forget what I see. Okay, this is what he's talking about. If I, as an unbeliever, am standing in front of this mirror that Paul's talking about, I am seeing the reflection of my father. Now, I can do the pop psychology thing and say my earthly father. And that's what most do. Man, I'm looking more like my dad all the time. That's not what he's talking about. When he was speaking to the high priest saying, you're, you're in the image of your father, Satan. I mean, these guys were keeping the law, were they not? Supposedly. Nice robes, all the right look. Trim beer, whatever their their thing was, they were the image of obedience to the law. And here Jesus comes along and says, "Go stand in front of a mirror, because what you're going to see is your father." See, when I stand in front of a mirror today as an indwelt believer, I see my dad, I see my Abba. But if I'm so used to looking at my flaws, my flesh, my human body that is still showing the markings of the enemy 
then I'm going to get caught up in an identity crisis. Do you understand that? But see, if I'm able to look through the flaws of my flesh and see who I am in Christ, now I am seeing the reflection of the identity of Jesus who bears the identity of the Father. You see, the Father gave his identity to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ walked around on the earth for 40 days after he came out of the tomb and said, I'm about to give you a gift that's going to blow your life away. Literally. So when I'm gone, it will come. And it will come and possess your human body. And you're going to see, experience, feel things you never thought was possible. And it's going to blow your old man and send it right back to the cross where I just came from. And you will experience code, death, burial, and resurrection just as I have. And when you stand in front of the mirror, you will not stand in front of the mirror dimly. You will see my father, my Abba. That's how clear he made it. And those of you who are standing in front of the mirror and seeing a fat, wretched decaying person and that's what you're looking at and thinking about you are somehow smiling at the face of the father of lies because you're believing that that's who you are and it makes Christ a liar Christ is not a liar we need to be discipled by true truth sayers that look at us as Christ looks at us that grooms us and grows us as the Father groomed Jesus and Jesus groomed us through the Holy Spirit so that when we look at these frail bodies that we don't get caught up in an identity crisis, which we all do. Some of my greatest identity mentors have had some messed up moments in their lives. But it doesn't change the mission. He wants us to get up the next day and say, I'm nothing, God. I can't do anything right without you. And he goes, that's correct, Stephen. Must we have a go have a talk with Jack the Journey? <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but I listen to Jack the Journey a couple times a day. I came in yesterday to pray, intercede with the Lord. And what do I hear in my mind? Turn on episode 28. Oh, really? Jack? Well, some of you know that when I listen to, I mean, I do the voices, I do the, the animation, I do the whole thing. It's, it's like painting to me. I love it. And then I sit back and I listen to the story. And a lot of times, like this morning, I was back there just weeping, you know, not quite the tears running down my cheek, but I'm like, yes, that's the truth. Because the Spirit pours out of me for these kids. And God had to remind me of something. You're nothing, Stephen. Why try when I did the trying? Just open your eyes and see the beauty. Even though you know there's dark creatures hiding in that beauty, stand in front of the mirror, and even though you, your body still resembles the dark forest, know that I am He in you. Let my eyes see me. And you will be set free. That's what I got yesterday. From little old Jack. 
Before our closing statement, I want to read this. We know and rightly understand our sin only when we have realized it to be hostile against the life of Jesus and the grace activity of God. And we turn from our sin only when we return to the relationship of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ in the activity of God's grace. Okay, now I'm going to practically say this to you. So yesterday I was despairing over something. Lord told, tells me to come in here and get on my face. So I come in here and I'm sitting down calm. I'm here. It's like little Jack going, Okay, Alex, I'm ready for you. And I'm like, waiting, okay, I'm here. So he says, go to an episode. And I'm like, okay. So I bring up the episode and I start listening, you know. And the Lord starts ministering to my soul. The conclusion is what I just told you. So now here I am with a cleansed mind. Did God take the law and beat me with it? Oh, you did it again. You didn't love on that person the way you're supposed to. You're new, whatever. No. The grace activity started. The way he says my name, the way he speaks to me, the way he whatever, it's just so grace. While he is allowing the law of the world or the law of my flesh or the law of whatever to do the work of possibly spanking me. He does not spank us. The law does. And you can go out there and run that stop sign. You're going to get spanked. That's how practical it is for God. But God doesn't spank you. Are you with me on that? That's grace activity. As him as a father, he's very gentle with us and careful, but he's strong and he's immovable. He's firm. But you just get this constant sense that I'm being healed. But if you're afraid of discipline and working out of your salvation, you're going to avoid those moments. I did for years. I still avoid them. Even though I know God's going to be very graceful in his activity with me. Here's our closing statement. Identity matter statement for today is this. God's activity of grace humiliates us. Worldly definition of humiliation is what? Embarrassing us. In my deep moment with God, he was not interested in embarrassing me. Because that says, if kids listen to me carefully, if you're ever embarrassed by anything or anyone, you struggle with being bound to the law. That's what embarrassment is. You idiot. How could you do such a thing? That's not how God works. It's not the Hebrew definition of humility. Hebrew definition of humility is a little less than human. It's being brought to the same level of Christ. For Christ came and lowered himself, even below humans. That's where the word comes from. He wants us to come down to his level. That's why it humiliates us. It humbles us. For it implies there's nothing we can do to please or to appease God. That our actions of loving God back don't matter. 
I'm working with a young man that I hear probably on a weekly basis that he did so much for me that I have decided on a daily basis to give my all in all to him. But this same young man is discovering his identity in Christ and is beginning to realize how fruitless that statement is. I owe him nothing. Do you understand that? I owe him nothing. Because whatever I could pay him back with my paycheck, it is worthless. My money can't be spent in heaven. My efforts can't be spent in heaven. It is done. It is finished. He paid the price and refuses to be insulted by Steve Finney. By paying him back with loyalty or dedication. Or I'll give my life. How many people on the on the roads and persecution of war, says, God, if you get me through this, I will serve you the rest of my life. Don't bother. I would rather serve through you. But how many of us get that message? Usually after we've been saved 20 years, God brings a messenger of hope and truth into our life through a podcast or a book you're reading or whatever and gives you the real deal. That nothing you do can advance who you are. It's what he did that gives you who you are. So grace rejects all human performance, human accomplishment, and human sacrifice. Time, money, my abilities. You know, I have a doctor, don't you know? Tina and I are like, we're the ones I got it. Really? She's usually piled higher and deeper is what that is. There is nothing valuable in it besides our love to know what we do a little bit better. There's value in that. So the basis of modern culture is basically that. That's our work ethic. We go to training seminars, we read books on self-help, we wait progressive this and you know, we go to investment seminars. I mean, we're, we're just pouring so much into that and it's got nothing to do with that. So, understanding the nature and personhood of grace, personhood of grace, we decisively reject any confidence in ourselves and we trust ourselves totally to Jesus and his indwelling work. Now, I know that I know there's a couple listeners. And I thank God for those of you who send the testimonies in or you call or you text about receiving Jesus Christ into your mortal life so you can be discipled. We can connect you to disciplers who will help you grow in your identity in Christ. But don't bother unless you have the indwelling life of Christ. Because if you try to grow yourself in Christ and you don't have him yet, you're going to be a religious fool. And you might miss the window of salvation. Because you grew up in a church. You grew up in Christianity because your mommy was a Christian. Now this is a decisive moment, listener. It's a moment where you might be standing in front of the tree of life And you see a pinhole in front of you and you put your eye up to that pinhole and you go, what is on the other side of that tree? And that tree is the cross of Jesus Christ. 
that cross has become the tree of life. And we must pass through that cross, the passage of that cross, through Jesus Christ. So listeners, whatever country you're in, whatever your culture is, this is really simple. Just get on your knees and let God use that blessed imagination that he put inside your mind and just see, close your eyes and just see the tree of life. And let God just transform that tree of life into a cross. And that cross is going to be empty. He's not there anymore. But he can still bring you through that cross. And when you get on the other side of that cross, which means after you receive the indwelling life of Jesus Christ by simply saying, I am a sinner going to hell and I've come to realize this, I need your indwelling life. Whatever the words are that God puts into your mind, they'll work. And when you get on the other side of that cross, you're going to see a world that only the bride of Christ can see. So whatever your religion is, whatever your culture is, this is a moment of going through the eye of the needle and receiving the indwelling life of Christ. But do not pray that prayer unless you know the Holy Spirit's calling your name. Because just going forward because of guilt will not get you saved. But hearing your name called, you'll be pulled through that eye of that cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the ones who have prayed this prayer. Listeners, this prayer is actually written out for you on the PDF next to that little microphone on the podcast. Scroll to the last page and see this prayer. But I don't think you're going to need this prayer to read. The words are in you. Repentance is in you. And Father, I want to thank you for those of you who have chosen to receive the indwelling life of Jesus Christ no matter what country they're in. Bring more to our podcast, Father, so that you may speak even to more. And other teachers of pure truth bring many to those online teachings or to their churches that they may hear the real truth spoken. We thank you in Jesus' precious holy name for what you have done on this day. And those who have been offended by the tone of my voice, the strength of my words, I pray that the words of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit would be filtered out through that, and that's what they would remember. And I pray this too, in Jesus' name. Amen. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.